Our text for this morning is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And this is God's holy word. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God. That's so good. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him. And seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Will you pray with me? Lord, will you add your blessing to the reading and teaching of your word and make your uh, make our lives be whatever you want them to be because of what your word has taught us. Save souls, convict, encourage, do your will in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. What do you want to hear first, the good news or the bad news? What would you pick? Isn't that funny? And by the way, I asked you, Providence Reformed Church, that question after reading this passage four and a half years ago, because this was the first text I ever preached in this church, uh, back in the other school. How many of you were here for that, by the way? few of you are. Good. Then you've got notes. You can go ahead and take a nap. Um, <laughs> Kay's like, like I wasn't going to anyway. <laughs> Wait a minute. That's right. No, 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 no. Uh, this is the text that I preached uh, when I first visited you in April of 2015. And by the sovereign will of God, by the providence of God, here we are in the book of Ephesians working through it. And here's the text again. And I will be honest with you, not much is going to change because God's word is so good and we'll just try to stick with it. What do you want to hear first, the good news or the bad news? You know, whenever we ask this question and four and a half years ago when I asked you this question, the entire congregation said they want to hear the bad news first. Why? Well, it's because we want deep down that the good news that comes later will outweigh the bad and so that at the end of the day, we're left feeling okay. And I think the Apostle Paul understood the whole bad news, good news thing because we see him use it right here in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. He's been teaching the people in and around Ephesus about the glorious grace of God in chapter 1. He's been talking to them about the power of Jesus Christ at the end of chapter 1. It has been beautiful and prayer-filled and gracious. 
But now he's got bad news to tell the people in Ephesus. And then thankfully, that bad news is going to be followed up with the greatest possible news one could ever imagine. And then at the very, very end of this section, he's going to challenge us to think about how we live in the light of the grace of God. So I want to share with you this morning the bad news, the good news, and how you and I are going to need to respond to both things. And I'll go ahead and tell you up front that the way that you respond to these points this morning will be different depending on whether or not you are in this room or hearing this as a believer in Jesus Christ or whether you're somebody who is opposing Jesus or maybe you haven't made up your mind about Jesus yet. So today we're going to find four points about uh, as we learn about the grace of God, as we see the clear gospel, and the way you respond to those points is going to really need to be different based on where you stand before Jesus right now. I'll say this to you very clearly. Y'all, I don't, I'm not going to say anything bad news side or good news side that's not out of love, but there's hard stuff to hear here, and I want you to be ready Because if I tell you bad news, it's only because I want you to get to the good news. Fair enough? Point number one, recognize the true state of all who are lost. Point number one, recognize the true state of all who are lost. For those of you who were here four years ago, I did not change the points, just so you know. Verses 1 through 3, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Y'all? This might well be called the bad news section because it paints a very dark, very grim picture of reality. How many of you have heard Christians tell the lost that they need to be saved? Yes? Some of you have used that word before, right? Let me tell you, it is sad, though, to hear how many Christians will say to somebody, you need to be saved, and they cannot identify to the lost person from what or from whom they need to be saved. There's a whole lot of people that say the word saved and have no idea what, they, what someone needs to be rescued from or for or anything of the nature. we got to get it. And Paul, in explaining the grace of God, he is not going to leave it up for discussion. There is no confusion about from whom we need to be saved or why we need to be saved. Paul makes it plain why we need to be rescued by God from eternal danger. So if you're a Christian, I want you to listen to this section of Scripture so that you can be reminded by God of who you once were. By the way, if you're a Christian and you say, this wasn't me, somebody did not tell you the truth. This was us all. God makes it plain that this applies to all of us. Not one of us in this room has a clean record on our own, right? If we pulled up your whole life history, I don't think we'd have to go very far back before there's one or two whoopsies, right? And not one of us has a spotless background. Not one of us deserved anything good from God. So Christians, for us, we want to remember who we were 
so we can glorify God for what he's done. If you don't remember who you were rightly, you won't give God all the glory he deserves for saving you. At the same time, there are those who will hear this message who do not yet know Jesus. Maybe there's some that are fighting against Jesus right now. Maybe you've never made up your mind about the faith. As gently as I can, I want to let you know this passage, these three verses of Scripture describe you in exactly where you are right now. You need to be saved. I know some of you, I know there are some of you who are playing with the faith and aren't in. You need to be saved. And as we read this section, you're going to see why you need to be saved. Verse 1, Paul says we were all dead in sins and trespasses, or transgressions, or tres- trespasses, pardon me. Now, you guys know smart pastors, because apparently pastors are supposed to be smart, which makes me wonder why you hired me, because I ain't that bright. Smart pastors love to do original language research. Don't you love it when the man stands up here and says to you, the original Greek language of this passage says this. <laughs> and oftentimes they'll tell you this and you say, no, well, see, I know the word here says dead. What it really means, okay, I'm going to do, I don't do this to you often, but I'm going to do a little Greek for you here, okay? The Greek word here translated dead is actually a word that means dead. That's some heavyweight stuff right there I did, y'all. That was scholar. That was scholarly. You know why? Because dead means dead. That's what it means. There's no playing with that word whatsoever. No fancy stuff. Everyone who does not have the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior is spiritually dead in sins and trespasses. To be dead is what? It is to be unable to do anything. It is to be unresponsive. It is to be without life. Thus, the person spiritually dead is unable to do one single thing that would ever please God. You get it? Now, Does that mean that nobody out there in the world who doesn't know Jesus is able to do a good deed? Of course not. But Isaiah 64, 6 tells us that all of those good works done not for the glory of God are like filthy rags in the sight of a holy God. They are done as rebellion against God, not as to the glory of God. Even if God uses them for good, they are still filthy in the sight of God because God is holy and he will not receive such a thing from a sinner who does it for their own purposes. No person outside of Christ has the ability to do any single thing that pleases God. They are completely stuck in and lost in sins and trespasses. And Paul goes on to say, we, that's us. That's every one of you who think you're a good little Christian. We walked in those sins and trespasses. We lived either falling short of the standard of God's perfection, or sometimes we very intentionally went too far and walked right across the line of God's commands. You've done them all. 
And we who were spiritually dead lived our lives always in that state. We were the walking dead. We were in the grip of sin. We lived, whether we knew it or not, following the pattern of the world around us and and of the devil himself, who Paul here calls the prince of the power of the air. And Paul says that the devil is at work in the sons of disobedience. All of those who fail to follow Jesus. Paul says we used to live among those people. We used to fulfill the desires of our flesh. We were captive to the passions of our bodies and of our minds. We lived based on what we thought seemed right. You all know a lot of people who do that, right? We lived based on what felt good to our bodies. Now, does this mean we were always trying to do what was wrong in every step? No, it doesn't mean that. But we were absolutely stuck in a manner of thinking that was worldly and that could never, ever please God. We were warped in our mind so that we believed the world around us or we believed our own reasoning instead of believing the clear words and perfect ways of God. That's who we were. And at the end of verse 3, the bad news gets as bad as you can make it because Paul says we were by nature children of wrath. God is saying to us that when we were outside of his grace, we were in line to inherit God's judgment, God's anger, God's fury over sin. We had sinned against God. We had failed to live up to God's glory. We had tried to live according to our own thoughts and our own pleasures instead of those of God. And we rightfully were under God's condemnation. We were destined for destruction and we deserved it. That's who we were. So is that news bad enough for you? I don't love that. And I don't love having been that. But guys, I, you, all of us have been people who have looked at the creator who made us and instead of shaping every ounce of our lives to his honor, have said, I'll do things for me, not you. Thank you very much. That's who we were. And I'm sorry to say it this way because I know it hurts, but for some of you, that's precisely who you are. You are some of you who don't, aren't under the grace of God. You are living because you think you're smarter than God. You think your morals are better than those of God. You think your ideas are cleaner than those of God. You think your pleasures are more important than God. And God says this makes us a child of his wrath. Christians, I call upon you to think seriously about what God is saying here. He wants you to see that before you came to Jesus Christ, you were spiritually dead. You were incapable of doing anything good. You could do as much good to please God as a corpse can do to respond to those filing through a funeral line. How many of you have ever been to a funeral and walked by an open casket? How many of you had the corpse greet you? That would not be a good funeral. (laughs) That corpse in that casket 
can do nothing. We were dead. Living according to the pattern of the world, the devil, and our own desires, we were objects of the wrath of God. We were destined for destruction. We were destined for hell, and we could do nothing about it. You've got to think about that so that you will properly give God the right glory for his grace, knowing from what you were saved, knowing the fact, honestly, from whom were you saved? You were saved by God from God. That should make you give God glory. And if you're hearing this, and your faith is not in Jesus and Jesus alone for salvation, you've got to see these words as a description of your present state. You are in great danger before God, and you can do nothing to make things right with God on your own. You've sinned, you're dead, and you need to be rescued. You need to be revived. You need to be saved. And thankfully, here's the good news. God has done the work to make that happen. So let's, we've seen the state of those who are lost. Let's look at the good news and see what it is God has done to turn a dark story into something glorious. Point number two. Are you ready for the good news side? Remember the love and mercy God showed you in Christ. Remember the love and mercy God showed you in Christ. Verse four, but... God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The two words that open this section, but God may be the most beautiful two words in all of the Bible. You and I were dead. You and I had sinned before God. You and I were destined for deserved wrath. But God did something. But God stepped in. But God made a difference. But God gave the good news. Now, it's funny because before we get to see what God did, he tells us why he did it. First, God did what he did because he is rich in mercy. Throughout the Bible, you know, even in the Old Testament, call back to Sunday school, God has described himself as the Lord, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. Don't you dare say that the God of the Old Testament was not loving, merciful, and just because he's the very same God as the God of the New Testament because there's only one God. With me? God has always been incredibly merciful. If God were not merciful, he would simply destroy us all at the moment of our first sin. That would be the end of the story. Your life would not have been long. If God were not merciful, he would have never revealed to us what he expects us to do that would please him. If God were not merciful, we would have no hope at all. Also, God did what he did because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our sins. That fact makes it clear. God didn't love you because of something good you did. God didn't love you because of something good and nice you are. God loves us, loved us, because and only because God chose to do so. 
He loved us because it perfectly fits who God is. And we can take no credit at all for the love of God. He didn't owe it to us. We didn't earn it. We couldn't earn it. He just loved us. And that's all you can say. And now we get to see what it is God did because of all this stuff. Even when we were dead in our sins, God made us alive together with Christ. That's a reference back to the resurrection of Jesus. Just as God the Father raised Jesus from the dead, we saw that celebrated at the end of chapter 1. Paul prayed, I want you guys to know the power of this God who raised Jesus from the dead. God also took dead sinners like you and like me, and he raised us from the dead spiritually, and the resurrected Jesus gives us life. See, Jesus is the only way to have life with God. How did it happen? God knew we were sinners. God knew we were sinners who could never repay the debt that we owe for our sin. God is holy. How holy, you ask? Infinitely holy. Forever holy. Never-ending holy. Ten billion times ten billion to the ten billionth power plus one. Infinity squared. Holy. So anytime we have ever sinned against that God, no matter how small we think our sin is, that sin offends God to that infinite degree. Thus, God, if God wanted to save us, had to make way for an infinite price to be paid for our sins so that we might be forgiven. And that is why Jesus, the infinitely holy Son of God, came to earth. He lived a perfect life. Then he died on the cross of Calvary, though Jesus never sinned. And while on the cross, the Father poured out on the Son all of his wrath, which is an infinite amount, for all of the sins of all of the people who would ever come to him. Jesus Christ fully paid the perfect penalty for all of our sin before God. And then after his death, Jesus rose from the grave on the third day, proving for everybody to see that the work was done and the sacrifice was accepted by God. And Christ now offers to anyone who comes to him in faith and repentance complete forgiveness for every last one of their sins, past, present, or future. And God offers life together with him in Christ. So Christians, for you and me, Christ rose from the grave. You know what else he did when he rose from the grave? He brought us with him. All who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ and been made new by him have their lives hidden with Christ in God, as Paul says in Colossians 3.3. And then Paul can't help, he just bursts out right here. It's by grace you've been saved. No matter how you describe the plan of salvation, one thing is absolutely clear. It is a salvation that is fully by grace. We did nothing, absolutely nothing, to earn this grace from God. God did it all. And then after Jesus rose from the dead, you know what else he did? He ascended to heaven. We studied that last week, right? And he sat down uh, with his father on the throne of heaven, which we studied last week. That's what Paul's pointing to in verse 6 when he says that God raised us up and seated us with Christ. Again, end of chapter 1. Paul said, I pray you guys will know something of the mighty power of God who raised Jesus up, seated him, and enthroned him in heaven, right? Not only do we who are forgiven by Christ have at present a new life together with Jesus, we have a future promise of eternal blessing. And the future promise of eternal blessing is such a sure thing that Paul talks about it like it's already done. He has raised us up with Christ. That is to say, he will one day take us to heaven to be with Christ. 
He will also seat us with Christ on the throne of his kingdom. This is glorious. We who are children of God will inherit all of the glorious blessings of his grace purchased for us in Christ. All those blessings are already ours. You've got a mountain of infinite blessing that is already your actual property. All we're waiting for is the day that we die or the day when Jesus returns so that we can take possession of all sorts of things that we don't see yet. Christians, I want to call you to remember the love and mercy that God showed you in Jesus Christ. You were dead. God made you alive together with Christ. You were living according to this world. God raised you up to the heavenly places in Christ. You were destined for God's wrath and for hell itself. But God has given you a place with Christ in glory. This is ultimate mercy and God has shown it to you because of his great love and his great mercy it is all of grace remember that and give thanks to God for what he's done for you and for you who don't aren't yet believers see this as a call to come to Jesus Come to Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus. Turn away from your sin. And if you do, what you will find out is that God has made you alive and God has given you forgiveness of your sins and God has given you a place in heaven and you are no longer under the wrath of God. See, the reason this story is good news, friends, it's not because God says you're okay. The reason the story is good news is that God knows you and I are not okay but he's made the way for us to be forgiven. Let me be clear. There is only one way anybody is ever going to be forgiven. Jesus Christ. You will either be forgiven by coming to Christ or you will be under the wrath of God for eternity. That is your choice. I urge you to choose wisely. Now, we've remembered the love. We've remembered the mercy God showed us in Christ. Let's go on to see one of two ways that we need to respond to the mercy that we received that's in this passage. Point three, give God 100% of the glory for anyone's salvation. Give God 100% of the glory for anyone's salvation. Still with me here? Okay. You're quiet. Are you thinking a lot? Okay, you are awake actually, right? Okay, just checking. Look at verses 7 through 9. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So ask yourself, don't get mad at me now. Ask yourself, why, why would God save me? You ever wonder that? Why did God raise me up? Why did God give me a place in heaven? And the answer to those questions is found in verse 7, and it's different than what a lot of people think. Paul said God did all that stuff so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. I want you to imagine for a moment two angels just walking around in heaven. 
In this instance, I'll allow you to make it the most cartoonish picture you want. I, I don't care. I'm not going to correct your heavenology right now. They're walking around. They're looking around. One angel turns to the other angel and says, How great are the riches of God's love and mercy. I mean, after all, these angels have never sinned and never needed to be forgiven, so they don't know much about mercy. How great are the riches of God's love and mercy. You know that one angel would not even have to speak. He could just turn to the angel and then point. He might point at me. He might point at you. And by doing so, he would be showing the ultimate evidence for anyone to ever see that God is loving and merciful and gracious and kind and good. Why? Because I'm a sinner. I have failed God time and time and time and time and time again. For God even to think of forgiving me my sins is glorious, but for God to give me a place in heaven, that is well beyond glorious. God's riches of mercy... God's kindness to me, that is immeasurable. And so if anybody ever wants to ask at any time if God really is merciful, all God would have to do is point at me and I will be an eternal demonstration, an eternal proof, an eternal evidence of how gracious God really is. Whenever a, whenever a sports team wins a championship, what do the team members get? Some of you don't know because you root for the wrong teams. Um, <laughs> they get a championship ring, maybe, right? The team itself gets a big trophy. For those of you who like the other weird sports, they might get medals, right, Jeff? That's right, swimmers get medals. Pretty, pretty ribbons if it's a different type of competition. What's the point of those things? Those things, the ring, the medal, the trophy, it is an evidence, it is a piece of proof that you were on the winning team. You weren't on the winning team. Yes, I was. Look at my championship ring. Look at my trophy, right? That proves it. I was on the winning team. Listen, believer. If you're a believer, you are a trophy, you will live as an eternal proof and demonstration of the great love and kindness that God has shown in Jesus Christ. You exist as a trophy of God's grace. You might say, well, I don't, I don't want to be a trophy. That makes me all objectified. It, I wasn't trying to be funny. Uh, it, it, we, how do we start to prove God's grace? God says, here's what I want to do. I'm going to use this trophy, and I'm going to prove that I'm gracious by eternally, forever, lavishing my kindness on it. What do you think? Would you sign up for that deal? Even if that makes you just a trophy and not the main story? Yeah, I'm in. How do we serve to prove God's grace? The word for tells us he's explaining it. For it is by grace that you're saved. Grace is a goodness given to you that you did not deserve. 
You can do nothing to earn grace. If you do a thing to earn grace, grace is not grace. Grace cannot be earned. Grace cannot be bought. Grace cannot be caused by you. If it does, it's not grace. Grace is only grace if grace is grace. A good thing you get, you could do nothing to deserve. It is by grace. You were saved by grace through faith. Now it's even more clear. We did nothing to earn our salvation. If we're saved, we're only saved because we placed our faith in Jesus Christ. It is not that we had faith and added to faith good deeds to save us. It's not that we had faith and we obeyed the right ceremony that that saved us. It's not that you had faith and were baptized or faith and took communion or faith and attended church or faith and went on a mission trip that saved you. If you are saved, you are saved by God's grace alone through the vehicle of faith alone. And this is not your own doing. Do you see that there? What in the world does that mean? There are some who would say that the grace did not come from us, and that's what Paul's saying. But I'm going to say to you that makes no actual sense. Grace could never have come from you. If this phrase was intended to mean that the grace did not come from you, it is redundant. Paul's not redundant. Paul doesn't use meaningless repetition. The phrase, and this is not your own doing, could refer back to the word faith. Uh, some people get really excited, again, you Greek scholars, that, the wor- that we don't, we're not in the same exact gender of wordings here, the same, same concept, and, and we say, well, that can't be faith because they don't match. But that's not true that it couldn't be that. It often is the case that we don't find exactly parallel genders between uh, a verb and a, a, a noun and the phrases. That, that can happen. So it could be referencing simply back to the faith that saved us. Or it's very possible that when it says this is not your own doing, it's referencing the entire process altogether. We're just summing it all up. This is not your own doing. And that's actually what makes sense that Paul wrote it. What Paul's saying is saying, hey, if you're saved, you're saved by grace. If you're saved, you're saved through faith. And just in case you're about to get proud of yourself for being smart enough, good enough, well, at least I had some faith. He says, no, even your faith is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Because what did he say you were in your sins in verse 1? dead. Do dead people have faith? No, not while you're dead. For a dead person to respond in faith is for that person to have already been made alive by God. And that means we cannot take credit for even one single part of our salvation, not one little bit. If you are saved, you are saved by grace through a faith that was given to you by God. And then Paul ties a little bow on the package of our salvation when he says that if we are saved, we're not saved as a result of works because God does not want us to be able to boast. God is clear. You and I cannot boast in our salvation, at least not in ourselves, because you know what you and I brought to the table for our contribution to our salvation? Sin. You brought your sin. You were good at that. I was probably better at it, but you were good at it. Let me have my pride. No, there's more sin than I'm good at. God, you brought the sin. 
God brought the love, the mercy, and the payment for your sins. God made you alive when you were dead. God gave you the grace. God even gave us the faith. And so we boast only that God is great and that we are saved by an awesome, glorious God. That is where we boast. That's the only boasting we can do. And I will say this, if your theology allows you the possibility to say, well, at least I did this one good thing that that person over there didn't do, and that's why I'm saved, your theology is missing the point of this passage. So Christians, let this point remind you to give God 100% of the glory for your salvation. Do nothing to give credit to yourself for being saved. Thank God, because your salvation comes from God completely. And if you're not yet a believer, recognize that you can't bring something to the table to earn your salvation. If you're sitting here and you're going, you know, I need to get my life right. That's not the way to do it. It doesn't work. You'll never get it right enough. You can't bring good works to God and make God think you're a good enough person to go to heaven. You don't go to heaven because you're better than the person sitting next to you. You don't go to heaven because half of your works are better than the other half. You don't go to heaven because at least you're not Hitler. The only way you go to heaven is if you come to God empty-handed and say, please, Lord Jesus, save me, and then you find out Jesus even helped you do that. If you think God will think you're a good enough person to go to heaven, you, you can just walk around heaven bragging all over the place. Look how good I was. I earned my way here. And if you can walk around heaven saying, you know, God did 99% of the work, but you know the thing I brought to the table was my faith. I had my faith. You're dishonoring the Lord. The only thing you can do, dear person, friend of mine, if you would like to be saved, is come to Jesus Christ empty-handed and ask Him for His grace. Come to Him believing in Him. Come to Him turning from your sins, and He will forgive you. But all of the credit is going to go to God because God is the one who caused it from the beginning. God is the only one who gets any ounce of the glory for your salvation. So come and receive grace through faith in Christ. Now, I'm not saying I don't want you to come to Jesus. I'm saying, yes, come. Yes, believe. Yes, by an act of your will, believe. But what you're going to find out is that once you've done that, it was Jesus who did it. And you say, that's more complicated than I want to figure out. Okay. I'm not that bright either. I know this. God gets all the glory for my salvation. God gets all the glory for your salvation. And there's not one single thing that I can claim as my own that was not a gift given to me by God. So after all that talk about faith alone, you might think, Travis is all about faith alone. He does not want us to do any good things. We can just have faith and be done and just be as naughty as we want to be after that. No, 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 no. You're supposed to do good works. Good works come after your salvation, though, not before. Good works don't buy your salvation. Good works are the result of having been saved. Point number four, live a life full of good works after you're saved. Point number four, live a life full of good works after you're saved. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So wrapping up this little section, Paul says we are God's workmanship. And the great thing about the word workmanship, it's a word that comes from the world of art or craftsmanship. 
God calls saved people his works of art like beautiful poems or grand sculptures. Take a minute and look at the Christian sitting next to you. God says that's a work of art. You can decide how abstract <laughs> that the Lord is into. I mean, art's art, right? But listen to me. You who think you're not worth anything, you who think you're just a burden, you who think you're not smart enough, pretty enough, wealthy enough, God says, if I saved you, I have made you into my very work of art that displays my glory. And I will use you to display my glory forever. God says we exist to display his skill, his craftsmanship, his honor, his glory. We are works of art. We are created in Christ Jesus because it's only through Jesus Christ that a dead sinner can become a living, breathing work of art, a work created to work in Christ. God has made you for the purpose of doing good things. He has saved you intending, Christian, that you will do things for the rest of your life that bring honor to the name of God. And when did God prepare for you those works to do, you ask? Was it right after you were saved he decided what you should do? He said he prepared them beforehand, before you were ever born, before God fashioned the universe. God planned not only for your salvation, but for the way that you would serve him, that you might bring honor to his name. You have a purpose, Christian. You have a career path planned out for you by God that you might be an artwork to his glory. Christians, let that little verse remind you, God has a purpose for you besides just saving you. You didn't do any good works to be saved, but once you are saved, God intends that you do lots of things, all sorts of things that bring honor to his name. He's got them planned out for you. They were prepared for you before you were ever born. So let's get about the process of doing the things that God has planned out for us to do to his glory. You say, I don't know what they are. Read the word of God and obey it. There you go. You'll find them all. God saved us from wrath when we were dead in our sins. He made us alive with Christ. And it only makes sense that our response would be to do as much as we can to rejoice in the fact that our God is great and glorious and merciful and show it off to the world. And if you're here this morning without Jesus, again, recognize that good deeds follow your salvation. They don't get you into heaven. But if you come to Jesus, he's going to enable you and empower you to do things to please him after you're saved. And let me tell you, friends, nothing will ever satisfy your soul at all until you are doing the things that God made you for. When you come to Jesus, when you're forgiven of your sins, when you actually do the things that God shaped you to do, that's when your soul is going to ring with joy and purpose. And you're going to say, I finally know why I exist. Y'all, we started with the bad news, and the bad news was bad, but the good news is super, super good. So yes, recognize the state of everyone who is lost because it is sad and frightening. And let that memory cause you believers to give God thanks for what he's done for you. And let it call you to share the gospel with the lost. They need to hear this message because they need to experience the grace that you've experienced. Also, remember the love and the mercy that God has shown you in Jesus Christ and give God 100% of the glory for anyone's salvation. Please, please don't steal glory from God. 
All salvation from sin is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And none of us can take personal credit for that kind of salvation. Instead, we give all the glory and all the honor to our Lord. And as you glorify God in salvation, live a life full of good works after you're saved. Let your life reflect the change that God has made in you through the grace of Christ. And finally, if you're here and don't know Jesus, again, I urge you, come to know Jesus today. You've heard of your state. You're in great danger of facing the wrath and the judgment of God. But God has made a way for you to be forgiven in Jesus Christ. Come to Jesus. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died to pay for your sins. Trust in Jesus and Jesus alone for your eternity. And God promises to give you his mercy. And then I want you to give God all the glory for your salvation. Because if you have a desire for Jesus, if you have a want to believe, if you have a heart that's willing to say, I do want to be saved, that is evidence of the work of God already done in your heart. You see, if you, if you were not wanting to be saved, if you were sitting here going, that's just the stupidest thing I've ever heard, I want nothing to do with it, that's the sign that you're dead. Let that, if that's scary, let it scare you. And let it call you to turn to Jesus to find life. Because it'll be the work of God that brings you to life. And when all is said and done, live to give honor to God because of God's glorious grace and beautiful gospel. Let's pray together, friends. Father, we bow. And I pray that you will have mercy on us. We need your grace. We need your mercy. There are people who need to be saved. I pray they will be. There are Christians who need to praise you. I pray they will. We've got lost family members. I pray that you will be breaking through hearts left and right. We lay our lives in your hands and we ask you to use us to do great, glorious works just like you have planned for us from before the dawn of time. Help us do them. Help us honor you. Forgive us our weakness. The parts of this message from me that are too much of my personality or things that I'm not understanding right, I pray that you will just wipe away. But let a clear, clean gospel stand strong. And let us rejoice in the love of Jesus. That's our prayer in Christ's holy name. Amen.